0: Oh, hey, Paco. Uh, What are you doing there? I'm writing one of our listeners back
1: and giving him a piece of my mind. Uh, Okay, a couple of questions. First, why are you using that typewriter? Why don't you just email them? Well, this
0: typewriter makes some really great sounds, so it's obvious to the listeners that I'm typing something.
1: Oh, wait, are you recording this? Yeah, the mics are always on in the studio. Oh, that explains why these random conversations always get recorded. But anyway, second question, why are you angrily writing to our listeners? I think you should consult Mark and I before you rattle off angry letters to our loyal fans. Yeah, right. When are we going to do that?
0: This show is taking up all of our free time. Are we just going to not record a show this week and
1: answer all these stupid tweets and faxes and emails? I don't know, Paco. Why don't you try to relax a bit and maybe we'll find out on today's show. hey everyone welcome to you've got it all wrong a philosophy podcast for handsome people like you i'm chad allen
2: i'm paco allen and i'm america's sweetheart mark sanders so listener mail's been piling up guys right yeah, that's what I heard. Slightly less faxes than uh, we expected, but we'll we'll definitely uh, try to solve that in the future. Um, so, if you've listened to the last few episodes, you'll note that we've been trying to answer as many questions as we can, uh, but we haven't been able to get to all of them. Uh, so, we've uh, we've picked out a few interesting ones. Uh, we've set aside a whole episode today to answer them. Uh, we're going to be back uh, next week for a more topical episode in the fast-moving, ever-changing world of philosophy. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but we'll, uh, we'll we're going to have a Halloween theme. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned for uh, stay tuned, stay you know stay alert. You know, look at the thing you listen to podcasts on regularly. Um, <laughs> ideally, uh, Sunday night, uh, the day after Halloween, and uh, you can check out our episode there. Now let's uh, let's dive into some uh, listener questions. Q. Foley of Large Mailbag. <laughs> Sorry, extra work back. There. <laughs> Uh, so Michael, Michael writes uh, first. Great podcast. I've already subscribed and will rate it on iTunes. Nice work, Michael. Uh, everyone else, be
1: more like Michael. Yes, seconded. Uh,
2: Michael has uh, a lot of good questions. We, we're going to pick uh, just one of them. Um, so you guys should consider putting up uh, some web pages with your background info. For example, is America's sweetheart Australian or British? I think Australian, but it took quite a while to figure it out. How did you guys start the podcast? Is it tied to your jobs or just a hobby? So, how would you? Uh, may May I uh, reveal the uh, the 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 secret of of whether um, of my ethnicity of my background? Um, yes, yes, I dear d- listen. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I can I can safely reassure you. Yes, I am an immigrant, and I did come here to stay <laughs> your job.
1: I think that's it. I think that's it as much as you uh should say i i think it's a sensitive topic um it's clearly something that listeners are attuned to but i i think it would be a mistake to uh, uh to to let go of the mystery and sort of pull back the curtain i think it's it's one of the few th- compelling things about this show is the is the <laughs> mystery of your origins <laughs> so, there'll never be an origin um. story episode <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, I the, how did you guys start the podcast? Slowly. How did we start the? So we pushed the record button. We piled into
0: my extremely <laughs> uh, hot and sweaty office in my garage. Uh, it was the worst. And crowded around a folding card table and stapled all kinds of uh, soundproof material to the walls. Uh, and then pretended like we knew what we were doing it, it 's basically bruce wayne 's <laughs> origin
2: story we We kind of you know we 've got the bat cave we 've got some technology, uh, we all wore
0: costumes. that was a costume <laughs> the quasi serious answer is that we 've all been kind of big fans of the medium for a long time and have talked a big game about starting all kinds of podcasts for uh, years and years and years and I think probably Chad finally moving out to the west coast. Uh, and the three of us all being in relatively the same place was kind of the domino that the, the first domino that fell. Yeah. And then it was just a matter of uh, arguing about what we were actually going to talk about. And then, uh, the topic of, of arguments became the topic of what we were going to talk about. And there's like no better subject to argue about than philosophy. I think,
1: I think that's a really good summary. Did you write that down before the show? No, I just rambled that's that's pretty and
0: just in terms of (laughs) in terms of uh backgrounds you know chad's the only one who has really any kind of like formal education in philosophy i you know
1: wait are you are you now answering the question is this tied into your jobs or just a hobby uh i guess i was still kind of doing general background
0: definitely this is not any of our jobs I don't unless somebody has a secret philosophy job I don't know about.
2: <laughs> no, if you if you're a very good or a very bad wizard, uh you couldn't consider any of us quote unquote professional philosophers. <laughs> but yeah, that's right.
1: The guys the guys over at the Very Bad Wizards uh podcast ha- had a few things to say about our show and one of them was a question about whether or not we were quote unquote actual philosophers. Uh, which I guess means are we like paid to teach philosophy at a university and write papers about it? No. Per Paco's comment, the closest that uh, any of us ever got to that was was that I have a master's degree in philosophy from the esteemed Higher Learning uh, Institute of Western Michigan University. And I also spent one year at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill deciding that I did not want a PhD in philosophy and we're gonna talk about moral realism a little bit later and we uh, talked about moral re- realism in our last episode and I think it's worth noting that I got an F in a seminar taught by the world-famous moral realist uh, Jeff Sayer McCord because I took an incomplete and then never handed it an actual paper you rebel
0: and i think mark and i um have worked together off and on for the better part of the last 15 years uh and just generally like to argue about dumb stuff or weird stuff or random stuff and 50 percent of the time that's philosophy
2: about 20 percent of the stuff i use in those arguments is also made up which uh hasn't crept into (laughs) my uh which lends itself
1: well to making a podcast the other 50
0: percent of the stuff we argue about usually is related to wikipedia entries about comic book superheroes (laughs) yes
1: right where paco has read the comic book and mark has read the wikipedia entry (laughs) (laughs) but mark somehow knows more about it than i do (laughs) right yeah so i think like uh very much not tied into any of our jobs at all and so when you find uh errors or inconsistencies in my in my thinking it's because i am reading all of this stuff on the side from wikipedia i don't know what excuse paco and Marca. uh
0: well I was pretty much the same except for we didn't even like get a master's degree in it <laughs> i mean i think the the reason that we all like doing the show and wanted to do the show and are interested in these topics is because they very much apply to the real world and there's kind of the like hardcore academic world of philosophy that can be really hard to navigate for the average person. And I think that these topics are, for the most part, important to the average person. So uh, we're trying to have like somewhat normal human conversations about important philosophical topics. And that can be difficult to do in the same way that like talking to a neurosurgeon about how the brain works can be hard for the average person to understand. So... Hopefully us right. being dumb on these topics is helping other people who aren't <laughs> professional philosophers uh, like get yeah. into
1: these topics. I guess that's our hope. I think we should edit out everything else we just said, except for what you just said. I feel that way in general about the show, like every episode <laughs> about about life really you we wish you could just edit
0: out <laughs> everyone else in life. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm pretty sure we thoroughly answered all of the aspects of that question. What's next?
2: I, I, I think so. Uh, we, we got several questions uh, after our episode on on moral realism, about whether or not uh, we're familiar with the work of uh, Sam Harris and his book, uh, The Moral Landscape. Uh, we can't read all of these letters, but uh, here's, here's Rob's message. And he covered uh, a lot of these issues brought up by other listeners. So Rob wrote, Listening to the latest episode, episode eighteen, uh, you've got it all wrong. dot net slash uh, eighteen. I was very appreciative of the discussion about moral relativism versus moral realism. However, I feel like nobody on the show addressed the model of moral realism proposed by Sam Harris in his book The Moral Landscape. Uh, one commentator uh, seemed to echo uh, some of Sam's thoughts in responding to the question of robot torture, but not entirely. Have any of you read the book? If so, what did you think of it, and why didn't you bring it up in the discussion? It's incredibly relevant and contemporary to the matter at hand. If nobody on the show has read it, then why not? Thanks for your time, and keep up the great podcasts. So, uh, have you have you guys read it?
1: So, I haven't read the book, but I watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think before
0: we dive into the specific answers to whether or not we've read this book and how it relates to the show, I think. For the people who maybe haven't listened to episode 18, just super, super quick, like the idea of moral realism is that there are moral facts in the world that are as real and and as axiomatic as two plus two equals four and water's made of H2O and that we can discover these facts and that they're like unbreakable and universal. So we're not talking about moral realism and nobody knows what we're talking about. And then the robot torture thing was a letter that somebody had written into us from that episode kind of talking about if posing the question that if there's a robot who can, you know, feel pain and suffer in the same way that people do, would it be unethical to torture that robot? Like the robot from Jabba's right. palace, right? Was it immoral <laughs> for that one robot to turn another robot upside down and then put hot red, hot metal wires on its feet to burn its feet? Cause apparently robots have nerve centers in their feet, I guess, in star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. So who's read Sam Harris's book? You saw the movie, Chad.
1: I saw the movie, uh, Sam Harris gives a, a Ted talk. Uh, it's about 20 minutes long. I can only assume that it summarizes the book. Um, in particular, based on a, a bunch of other stuff I read, uh, online, um, reviews and, and, uh, critiques and summaries of the book probably by the time i'd watched the ted talk twice and and read a bunch of stuff about it online i could have just read the book uh but you know that's that's not how i roll yeah i watched the ted talk and i watched or listened to
0: um a couple other interviews with him um including name check again the he was on the very bad wizards uh podcast um and i also saw the sequel to the movie where He fights Batman. (laughs) And, um, well, it was kind of a tie. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a video out there. Definitely. If you're interested in, in some of the more controversial aspects of Sam Harris's, uh, work where, uh, he and, and Ben Affleck go at it. So if you just Google, Google Sam Harris, Ben Affleck, you can, you can check that out.
2: Ben Affleck you say? Uh, maybe maybe find out more in the show notes and all of those sweet sweet SEO links links Ben Affleck. <laughs> so g- carry on um, carry on.
0: So Chad do you do you want to give just like a quick kind of summary of Sam Harris's philosophical
1: argument for moral realism? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean also I mean maybe I'll just say quickly that our answer to the previous question about how this is just a hobby for us and not any of our actual jobs is a big part of the answer as to why none of us have read his book there are just a lot of books and if your job um doesn't happen to be you know academic in some capacity who spends most of their time reading books then it's you know just not possible to read all of these books and that happens to be one that among many that we haven't read it also doesn't have teenage vampires in it so yeah i know (laughs) um Uh, it's not part of the hunger games uh series so i like haven't touched it there's there's no angsty
0: teens there's no hunger games there's no people starving there's no (laughs) yeah
2: love triangles between vampires and werewolves (laughs) technically we don't
1: know if we haven't
2: read the book maybe maybe there is and we're just missing out (laughs) right
1: i mean if the book was in the the ya fiction section then maybe i would have read it by now but i haven't so i think Very briefly, his argument is something along the lines of we now have the scientific tools at our disposal to uh, measure on some level suffering and pain on the one hand or pleasure and happiness on the other. And his thesis is essentially that we should stop thinking that science can't tell us about morality because now that we can empirically measure these things um through scientific observations we should be able to conclude that the things that we observe to cause what he often phrases as like human well-being or human flourishing uh the things that cause those should be considered to be morally good things and the things that cause pain or suffering should be considered to be Uh, morally bad things right and so he's attempting to sort of like connect up um scientific observations with moral facts or moral judgments and so that's why he kind of like i think comes up in this conversation about moral realism because he positions his work as as being a, a sort of a thesis about how morality is connected to empirical observations about the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, this. the subtitle of his book is How Science Can Determine Human Values. Right. And, you know, like I said, I, I watched this TED Talk. I listened to two or three other interviews plus the Ben Affleck fight. And I, like, honestly, so clearly I'm talking about his ideas without having read his book. Um, So this isn't necessarily a critique of his book. I think it's a critique of his his argument that he's presented multiple times. And it's the same argument every time I've I've heard him give it. Yeah. I don't feel like that subtitle of his book, which is also kind of like how he presents the case initially at the beginning of all his talks. I don't feel like he ever lives up to that. Right. So like he always yeah. his argument always starts out and if you don't want to read the book i suggest you go to amazon and read the amazon exclusive q and a with sam harris uh that's part of the <laughs> yeah. the page cuz it's basically the book yeah he starts that out by saying like morality has to relate in some way to the well-being of conscious creatures right which i think is a really big leap to start with like m- most people intuitively might agree with that but I don't feel like he ever gives any proof for that statement. Right. It's just like, well, here's this statement, assume that that's true, and then along the way we'll talk about how sci- modern science can measure whether or not someone's happy or suffering, but he I don't think ever gets to the point where he actually answers the question that he poses of how how can science determine human values. It just it's not connected. He never
1: for me like, I think that you, I think that you actually alluded to this when we were answering the robot torture question when, you know, I, I know in that episode you said something along the lines of like, okay, well let's put aside our meta ethical discussion, um, about whether or not there are objective moral facts about the world and talk about this specific, um, instance of robot torture. And I think that, What's lost in this conversation about Sam Harris's book is the is the meta ethics discussion because he kind of starts with the assumption that there are moral facts and that those moral facts are grounded in the well being of conscious creatures and I think that's just like to your point you know like getting ahead of the a little bit of the of one of the fundamental questions which is are there moral facts? Right. And then even once you, he makes some interesting arguments where he
0: says like, we don't, we don't have moral debates or moral conversations about rocks and that there's some kind of like, there's some spectrum between a rock and an ant and, uh, an ape and a human where we feel like that moral conversation becomes more acute, right? The further away from a rock you move and the closer to a human you move. But, like that's just kind of like an example of why we feel that way it's not a proof
1: right and if you kind of like reel that back into our conversation about moral realism from two episodes ago i guess when which generated this question was it last which episode was it 18 yeah i think yeah okay so this is a form of what i I think we would call naturalistic moral reasoning which is that claims uh, that moral claims or ethical statements can be reduced to uh, observations about the world, about the natural world, you know, from the perspective of, you know, science and scientific observation. And the critique of that from a meta ethics perspective comes from a couple of different directions. One is something like G.E. Moore's open question argument, which is in the vocabulary of Sam Harris, we would pose that question as Okay, you're saying that we know something's good if it, or something is good if it contributes to the flourishing or well being of humans. And the open question argument essentially says, well, okay, I guess we can tell when something contributes to the well being or flourishing of humans or a conscious being, but how do we know that the flourishing or well being of humans is a good thing? There's no answer to that question, you know, according to to G.E. Moore. And then, you know, I think the other meta-ethical critique that Harris leaves himself open to is that, well, I guess a couple of things. I mean, one is is error theory, um, which says that the moral facts that this theory purports to be about just don't exist. So again, I would go back to like the contention that the well-being of conscious beings or humans is a is a good thing the error theory would say there's no fact that would make that statement either true or false right and so i guess you know on the one hand sort of like i feel like this discussion about sam harris is a little bit um sort of downstream from the conversation we were having in that episode i also think that there's not that much to distinguish harris's argument from a sort of like conventional utilitarian point of view. So other than talking a lot about neuroscience and contemporary psychology, I'm not all that clear on what he's adding to John Stuart Mill, for example.
0: If he's adding anything of value, because I don't think he's adding anything of value to the the meta ethics conversation. And just real quickly, because that might be a term that some people aren't totally familiar with, but like meta ethics is basically like the kind of big picture ethical, you know, structure or formulation that you're talking about. So things like moral realism or moral relativism or utilitarianism, like the basic foundational argument. And then there's applied ethics, which is like, okay, like, let's take that metaethics viewpoint and then try to apply it to a specific thing like dog birthday cakes uh should we eat other animals or uh right. abortion or other specific topics or whatever uh,
1: right once you've chosen your framework wh- whether it's some kind of utilitarianism or some kind of um deontological kind of kantian viewpoint yeah. Once you've once you've chosen your sort of meta ethical framework, then you can have an applied ethics conversation about whether a particular thing is right or wrong. Right. Um, so and I think what I, part of what we're saying is that he's jumped ahead without making the sort of meta ethical case for, you know, this idea that well-being of humans is a good thing. And instead, he's just talking about how do we know if something advances the well-being of humans? Yeah. So what I was going to say is, I don't. I don't think he's adding anything to the to any
0: meta ethics conversation. He's not like proposing any meta ethics breakthrough. And here's how science and fMRI's can like prove definitively that one thing is right or wrong in the world. He's kind of making a upfront like a utilitarian argument. And then if he's adding anything at all. It's basically that we now have tools that are helping us uh, measure whether or not something is causing suffering or causing joy and that we can like measure those things more accurately in a in a laboratory, um, you know, versus just like asking somebody. But uh, just in the end, it doesn't really seem to add a whole lot to conversations that have existed for hundreds of years.
1: Yeah. So I have read Utilitarianism by John Stuart Mill, admittedly, a long time ago, maybe in that uh, class of Jeff Sarah McCords that I failed. But I think that it would be, I think, interesting for fans of Harris's book um, to pick up a copy of Mill's Utilitarianism. It's a quick read. I'd just be curious to know, sort of like, if you read those two books, is there other than sort of like the tip of the hat to contemporary neuroscience is there really anything that's sort of like fundamentally different right
0: so we're not going to read harris's book but you're asking our listeners to go pick up yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) right well i mean clearly our listeners read more than we do so you know i'm just saying you know if you oh real Real quick, the
0: last thing on <laughs> on this on this question, because we didn't get to the, the robot torture thing. So like All right. when, when we got to that question, you know, I was basically saying like, look, we had this big meta ethics conversation at the beginning of the show and, you know, we didn't really come out of that like picking a winner of like, here's the consensus on our meta ethics like viewpoint. So let's apply that to the robot torture. And it was basically I was just yeah. kind of saying I was kind of doing a little bit of what Harris does which is saying like most ethical frameworks like somehow involve the idea of like human suffering and and not wanting to have a a whole bunch of it so like you can basically take that whatever meta ethics framework you have if it involves things like consciousness and suffering and pain and not wanting a bunch of it you can apply that to robots as long as they have those same characteristics that people have that you're evaluating ethics on. So it was kind of, yeah, like I made a huge jump like, um, Harris did, except for, um, unlike him, I caveated it by saying, forget all those meta ethics and let's just assume this for the sake right. of this conversation. Yeah. C- yeah. Can
2: I, can I give a little background on that, uh, robot that was doing the torturing in uh, Jabba's palace? Oh yeah, sure. Apparently yes. that, that droid is uh, EV9D9, a E nine D nine, a female droid. Uh, she keeps her a, a laboratory deep in the bowels of jabba's palace where she builds grotesque droids from extra parts that exist only to feel pain hence why what's, what's the point of a droid feeling pain in, at all um so that is this that's- a
1: canonical reference that you're citing uh yeah, this is this is
2: this is uh Wikipedia. I don't think uh, anybody's ever lied on Wikipedia. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well okay. if it's
0: Wikipedia and it's not the official Star Wars website, and if that came from the expanded universe canon, um that's now like uh what are they calling it? Um legends or some crap like that.
2: Well I I'm looking actually now on StarWars.com. So if you go to StarWars.com slash databank slash EV dash, Ninety nine, you'll find a <laughs> Just reference put in the show notes. notes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask for that page by name. EV ninety nine, the supervisor of Jabba the Hutt's droid pool. So uh, there, there she is.
0: Yeah, but does it talk about all that crap about her building like robots that feel pain to torture them?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, mm. and, and she actually also, uh, according to StarWars.com, com, she augmented herself so she could feel pleasure uh, as a result of uh, other droids feeling pain. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so that's that's going to be my uh, Halloween costume this year, guys. So uh, get ready. for
0: Nice. Time to drop ninety pounds so I can fit <laughs> into some like tiny <laughs> robot costume.
1: Uh, yeah. So I think it's a really important point that um, you know, and I think it was just actually sort of happenstance that we decided to at- answer that robot torture question in the same episode that we talked about moral realism. Like, I, I think that was actually unintentional. We were just sort of grabbing the most interesting recent uh, listener question that we wanted to address. Um, and then it kind of it sort of just weirdly worked out that that there was a connection between the first half of the show and that and then the listener question. And I can see how that sort of like, you know, then sort of led to this kind of acute interest in how we were uh, connecting up our uh, final votes on moral realism with our views on robot torture and i think you know i think so you you made a comment in that discussion about sort of putting aside the meta ethics and i think i made a comment in that discussion about you know sort of wearing our philosopher hats versus wearing our um everyday citizen of the world hats And that, you know, when we're wearing our philosopher hats, like we can step back and have these conversations about meta ethics and 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 whether or not it's true or false that that causing human suffering is wrong. But in the in the everyday world, like we have to have a strong opinion about that and. Like I, I don't I don't know if I mentioned this or not but I but but I think this is this idea for me at least has its roots in an amazing book by Richard Rorty called Contingency, Irony and Solidarity. I think that guys at very bad wizards and other people who wonder if we are actual philosophers will use this as evidence to determine that I am not an actual philosopher um because this book um very much steps outside uh, the tradition of contemporary analytic philosophy. And in some ways I, I would say is sort of a, takes a stance against uh, large parts of that tradition. Um, but, but Rorty um, makes a strong argument that we will never be able to reconcile some of these sort of meta debates uh, with how we um, should live our everyday lives. And I'm just going to read a quick quote from this book, maybe um, in the interest of getting people hooked on it um, and checking it out. So Rorty says of the book that it sketches a figure whom I call the liberal ironist. I borrow my definition of liberal from Judith Sklar, who says that liberals are people who think that cruelty is the worst thing we do. I use ironist to name the sort of person who faces up to the contingency of his or her own most central beliefs and desires, someone sufficiently historicist and nominalist to have abandoned the idea that those central beliefs and desires refer back to something beyond the reach of time and chance. Liberal ironists are people who include among those ungroundable desires their own hope that suffering will be diminished, that the humiliation of human beings by other human beings may cease. And I think this really describes my personal view on topics, especially sort of in morality and ethics, which is that when you come to that meta ethical question about how do we know that human flourishing or human well being, to use Sam Harris's terms, is it good thing? The answer is like when we put on our philosophy hats, we don't we like we don't know that. But when we think about how we actually want the world to be. Harris is doing a pretty good job of describing how we want the world to actually be. And I, I just think that's like a, for me, that's like an important theme that runs through a lot of the things that we talk about, because I think you said Paco earlier that these are important issues that in that in a lot of ways we can connect them up to our everyday lives. But I also think that you do often in philosophy um, end up in these places where you you sort of have a, a view of the world from a philosophical perspective or, you know, from a sort of in your, you know, your own private kind of like critical thinking of the world that is not necessarily all that productive or all that conducive to, you know, being a, a good citizen in the real world because you do like the you know, so I think I voted for. I voted for some uh, version of error theory uh, on the moral realism debate, which is just to say that like all moral statements that uh, purport to be about some ethical truth in the world are just false because there's nothing, you know, in the world for those statements to be about. And so they can't have a truth value. However, that is not how I live my day to day life, (laughs) which is why I answered the robot question by saying that I think it's wrong to torture the robot.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the reason that, that I said, the reason that that I I said, and I still kind of stand by the statement that I think these are important questions for the average everyday person to consider is not because I think that when they put their pseudo philosophy hat on the same way that we do, that they will come up with a, solid conclusion based on one of these philosophical moral frameworks but because I think it makes it forces you to actually think about how you live your life and how you make those decisions and I think every single one of these frameworks has problems and when you like are forced to say is is this absolutely true or not it's hard to say yes to probably all of them but it at least makes you look at the way that you make decisions in your life and forces you to contemplate what you think is right and wrong and how you want to live your life and what kind of society you want to live in. And I think that's what's important about it.
1: Yeah. I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah. Either we're saying the same thing or
0: you've got it all wrong. No, we're saying the same thing. So last thing on this, although I know I said last thing like five things ago. So if (laughs) robots, if robots, if droids in the star Wars universe can't, if they can't, from their original construction feel pain and ev 99 has to modify them so that they can feel pain is that a horrible thing to do is that is that a morally incorrect thing to do when part of what she is doing is allowing robots to feel something
1: But it sounded like from Mark's description that she was making the other robots capable of feeling pain and herself capable of feeling pleasure. But before
0: they couldn't feel
1: anything. (laughs) Uh,
0: So listeners, write in and let us know if (laughs) feeling pain is better than feeling nothing at all. And therefore, is EB-99 a hero (laughs) of the Star Wars universe?
2: I also lay down the challenge to Jason Snell and John Siracusa of the uh, other robot-based podcast, Robot or Not, to see if they want to tackle the same topic. And I'm sure they'll promptly ignore us.
0: Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, they're going to debate whether or not EV99 is a robot or not. And I think that's kind of like a clear answer. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say to those guys, if the mouse droid from Star Wars is a robot, but kit from night rider isn't like what are you guys talking about yeah that's bonkers one of those things is a thing with four wheels that's like a black box that drives around and does stuff and so is the other one <laughs> but the other one is way smarter but somehow not a robot
1: next question like we can't get into this here yes next next and final question of the evening it's not really even a question i think is it Uh, It it ends
2: with a question, and it ends with, um, uh, let me just uh, um, copy edit the show notes here to change that period into a question mark. There we go. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Okay. Finally, says the script. Finally, we wanted to give a shout out to a a listener who responded to our call for help in acquiring a genuine beard coin. You may remember those. uh, We talked about beard coins in an episode on paradoxes the one where we went down the rabbit hole of of the barber paradox hence uh hair care and gentleman's hair care in particular maybe
1: we should uh really quickly say what a a beard coin is and i think paco you're probably best suited to uh to tell us what a beard coin is because i know you got really uh, excited about it and who has got a beard
0: yeah okay well i mean mark brought the beard coins up first in an episode but here's a super quick recap oh yeah you're right yeah, I mean, I I got deep into it after Mark brought it up, but he, here's here's the recra- recap, the recap, the recap. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> the barber paradox was uh, basically this paradox that goes along the lines of uh, everybody in this in this this village is required to be clean shaven. Everybody either shaves themselves or is shaved by the barber. Uh, the barber's a dude, so he has to be clean shaven. So, uh, who shaves the barber and it's like, he can't shave himself because you either shave yourself or you're shaved by the barber. So it's like this paradox about like, who's the barber and, and how does he get shaved? So anyways, Mark had this anecdote during that paradox about, uh, Peter the great, the Russian ruler who at the time of his rule, I think the early 1700s wanted to be more, uh, wanted Russia to be more European and in Europe, the trend was to be clean shaven So he made it illegal to be, to to grow a beard. And if you wanted to grow a beard, you had to pay a beard tax. And in order to prove that you had paid the beard tax, you would pay the beard tax. Then you get this beard coin, which was this sweet coin that had a picture of a nose and a mustache and a beard on it. And I think it said something like, uh, on, on one side, it said something about the fact that you had paid the beard tax. And on the other side, it said, remember the beard is superfluous. And I thought this, yeah. this this was like probably the greatest coin that anybody had ever created in the history of mankind. <laughs> and like f- immediately in the middle of the show started coveting uh, beard coins, Russian beard coins. So, yeah, that's my quickest recap of uh, where we are today with beard coins and the You've Got It, it, it All it it Wrong It wasn't podcast. very quick, just to <laughs> I mean, but it's the quickest I could do. Our, our beards right.
2: grew uh, one, one um, nano beard. Inch um, uh, while we were listening, while you were telling that story. <laughs> uh, so okay, so uh, Julia writes, uh, "Hello, handsome people. Uh, thank, thank you, thank you, hi Julia, hi Julia." Uh, I just finished listening to your episode number fourteen. Uh, I couldn't ignore the request for a beard token. I happen to be your Russian listener. Uh, hopefully, there's 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 more than one out there. Uh, she says possibly the only one. Russians generally don't speak fluent English.
0: Uh,
1: and I have sorry, to ha- Russian
0: listeners. <laughs> yeah, that's Julia, not us. Yeah, that's I think Julia. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plenty of Russian
1: listeners probably just, speak perfect yeah. English. <laughs> yes, please, please write just English none Russian that listeners. Julia knows. Uh,
2: and I, uh, and as Julia continues, I, I happen to have a degree in the history of culture. Uh, although this might not uh, even be relevant, as uh, one really just needs to speak both Russian and English and have an internet access to figure out. That those beard tokens of Peter the Great do still exist and they don't have to cost a bazillion dollars. I found several Russian auctions where you can get an original one and, surprisingly, a beard token website where you can get a very cheap replica. Uh, I'd hope you'd be able to get a beard token from a beard token website, or else that would be um, <laughs> somewhat unfortunate. Um, so she, she finishes uh, in case you're still. Want to get one and need uh, any assistance acquiring it from an authentic Russian seller? Always happy to help. So, Julia, Spasiba.
0: Um, yeah, so I actually started Googling beard coins immediately after we finished that show and found the website Julia mentions where you can buy the replicas um, and immediately ordered a replica beard coin keychain, which um, has <laughs> been with me ever since. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. and uh you know she sent along a lot of links to auctions and I- i'm i'm interested i'm definitely interested in it it's it's hard to understand the exchange rates on some of these sites and that's why she offered to help because a lot of them are in russian but even using the google translate it it looks like a lot of these are are replicas because the google translate description in almost all of these says remake which i'm assuming means that there are
1: replicas yeah but some of them are really expensive and thus those must be real yeah i mean
0: yeah some of them are definitely like in the like four thousand yeah. dollar range two thousand dollar range but there's one here that i think might be legit and is <laughs> is only 86 bucks so yeah i'm actually gonna follow up with julia uh tomorrow and and see if she can get me the skinny on this. See if this. you can
1: get your hands on one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, looks like it's in pretty rough shape, but I, I'm still down with it. 86 bucks is,
1: it's probably worth it.
0: I'm not a rich man. So that's, that's a lot for, yeah. for an anecdotal beard coin that I can pull out and tell a story yeah, about. Well, yeah. It's pretty cool.
1: Maybe we'll put like a PayPal donation button on the website or something in, in Russian.
0: Yeah. If anybody wants to help me buy this
1: $86,
0: hopefully legit beard coin. At Paco Allen. On yeah, Twitter. at Paco Allen on Twitter.
2: At Abilities. Did you get the Abilities Twitter handle? Abilities for the Midwest. Is <laughs> uh, that no, longer than their I username allows? Uh, so I think that's our show. Thanks very much, guys, for writing in. Really appreciate it. Okay. As always, thanks for listening, everybody. If you haven't already, please take a second and hit the subscribe button in your favorite podcast app or client of choice so you don't miss any of the future shows. And if you like the show, please give us a rating on iTunes. Even if you don't use iTunes, just go over there and uh, give us a rating. It really helps uh, other handsome people find this show as well. Uh, you can find show notes and other random things along with uh, a picture of, of Paco's beard coin keyring over at youvegotitallwrong.net. And if you have any questions or comments like Rob or Julia, you can send them to questions at youvegotitallwrong.net. And maybe you'll even find a fax number there on our page in the upcoming days. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Just search for You've Got It All Wrong or on Twitter. The show's at All Wrong Podcast. I'm at M. Sanders. I'm at Chad Allen. And I'm at Paco Allen. Oh, uh, let me try. I was just looking at the prices for uh, Hello Facts.
0: Uh, <laughs> see to see if we, you could get it get it done before the end of the show. It's it, it, it's
2: free for five faxes a month.
0: <laughs> what is it? Can we just not? Can we not just not get faxes six through infinity? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, be one seen. of the first five people to fax in. And what a in order to be one of the only five faxes we receive. <laughs>